Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Today we're kicking off our Christmas series called Enwrapping Hope. And I would definitely say that one of the thrills, one of the thrills of Christmas, come on, get a little secular, just a second, is opening gifts. I know some of you going, I'm not raising my hand. Jesus is the reason for the season. I know, I got you. I got you. But you'd be a little disappointed, wouldn't you, if you got up Christmas morning and there wasn't anything under the tree for you. Right? Some of y'all are struggling with this. I can just tell. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I would definitely say, right, I mean, this is church. It's Sunday morning that the greatest gift is the gift of Jesus. So what we want to do for the next few weeks is we want to, try to do the best that we can is to unpack how we unwrap the hope that's in this beautiful story that we call the Christmas story. The hope that's inside the beautiful story of Christmas. So as I sat down, literally, as I sat down to write this message, the thought occurred to me, I thought, well, exactly what is hope? I mean, it's a nice word. <clears throat> we use it a lot at church, right? We talk about the hope that we have in Jesus. We talk about hope. We use that word, but it's not just a word that you use at church. A lot of you probably would acknowledge, if you've walked in here this morning, that you are hopeless. In fact, I know that because I know the people that we reach, the people that God brings to this church every single week, that He's faithful to bring us people that are broken. They're just broken just by life, you know, through hurt, through tragedy, through divorce, through loss, through loss of people that you love through loss of a job, just through struggles of everyday life. People that walk into this place would be people that say, man, I am hopeless. And I've always said this, and I still believe that it's true, and if you show up at church on a Sunday morning, you're desperate. Y'all don't even know how to respond to that, right? I mean, who are we kidding? It's not like the church has done a great job of communicating the love of Jesus over the last few years or so. And so if you show up at church on a Sunday morning, I mean, you are absolutely desperate. You're looking, you're looking for hope. There'd be another group of you that would say, you know what, I have some hope, but a little more hope would be awesome, especially as I look at trying to pay for Christmas. I need the hope that somewhere the money's going to be there, right? Yeah. But what is it? What is this thing that we talk about a lot? that we talk about at church, that we talk about at home, that we want more of. What is it? Well, I went to the old internet to find the answer, and here's what I found. According to Wikipedia, Wikipedia is the know-all, end-all, right? So according to Wikipedia, hope is an optimistic state of mind. It's an optimistic state of mind that is based on an expectation of positive outcomes with respect to events and circumstances in one's life or the world at large. Wow. What does that mean exactly? I mean, like, I can have an optimistic state of mind for peace on earth and goodwill toward men, but it's probably not going to be based on this expectation of a positive outcome. I mean, it's kind of like expecting peace on earth between Democrats and Republicans. It's a great idea, but it ain't going to happen in our lifetime, it doesn't seem, right? Right? 
So what is, what is hope? What is hope? What is this crazy thing? I found this on uh, an incredible website. I don't know anything about the organization, but I enjoyed what I read. It's on the Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center website. And if you've ever, if you've ever gone through that with, uh, as a family, then you'll understand the words of the people that I found on this website. A lady named Sarah wrote, she said, Hope is the power to believe that anything is possible. A fresh start, a second chance, or to wish upon a miracle. With hope, there's that window of opportunity or that new light for reassurance that the possibilities are endless as long as you believe that anything can happen. A lady named Linda, she wrote, Hope is believing we're all going to beat this and a cure for all types of cancer will be found. She said, hope, believe, strength, positive thoughts and prayers are what gets me through each chemo treatment. Cancer patients with hope. I think it's kind of odd. Incredibly sweet and very encouraging. But what is it? What is hope? Another website. Put it like this, most people understand hope as wishful thinking, as in, I hope something will happen. And as I read that, I felt hopeless. How about you? I mean, don't you want it to be more than just, just wishful thinking, that I hope that everything is going to be okay? But then what is it then, and then how do we unwrap it? Because that's the title of this series, Unwrapping Hope. Well, how do you do that? And where is the hope? Where is the hope in the Christmas story? Because i got to be honest, peace on earth and goodwill toward men sounds more like wishful thinking than an actual possibility. Billy Graham once said, the great mystery of the incarnation is the crux. It is the hope and the core of the Christian message. It is the mystery over which rationalists stumble, by which humanists are offended, and by which the world is bewildered. So I have a question. What in the world is the incarnation? Hello, anybody out there? Some of you have been in church your whole life, but for those of you, this is be gut level honest, how many of you would be willing to admit? I have no idea what the word means. I mean, I've heard it. I've been in church. I've been in church a few times over the years. See, y'all scared, y'all scared to raise your hand. Well, don't be, don't be nervous. You don't have to be. It's a big old hairy, some kind of theological term, but we don't really know what it means. And the cool thing about it is I remember growing up, they never explained it to us. I believe it or not, I grew up in church, and I remember every year around Christmas, this is the, I, I think in terms of pictures, I know that shocks you. I always did better with books that had more pictures than words. And so anyway, I, I remember as a kid that there would be these, you know, all these poinsettias. I don't know why. I, somebody can explain that to me after the service, but Christmas is a time of poinsettias. And that's what you do with your money. You buy a poinsettia, and you sit it, you sit it at the front of the altar so the preacher will kick it over. When it's, we, that's always what I thought. So anyway, so I always thought, Maybe it's a flower. I didn't know. So what, what is this thing called the incarnation? Because if Billy Graham said it's the crux, it really is, it's the crux. It's a hope and the core of the Christian message, then we need to know what that word means. So I went back to the Internet. And believe it or not, I went back to Wikipedia. Why, you may ask. I just thought it would be fun. 
I got nothing else for you. I just thought it would be fun. So here's what I found on Wikipedia. According to Wikipedia, in Christian theology, the incarnation is the belief that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, also known as God the Son or the Logos, Koine Greek for, for word, was made flesh by being conceived in the womb of a woman, the Virgin Mary, the doctrine of incarnation then entails that Jesus is fully God and fully human. That didn't do it for you either, I can see. Actually, it's, it's pretty correct, theologically correct, wouldn't you say? So at Christmas, here's what we're doing. Christmas is a celebration of the truth that God became incarnate. That God, this is crazy, that God took on human form. That Jesus was God in a body. Man, that's good right there. You can't get that anywhere else, I'm telling you. That's good theology, isn't it? God, God in a body, that God, in, God became human. He became human. He became one of us. I think it's sweet. It's a wow. It's a double wow, actually. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it like this in 1 Timothy 3. Beyond all question. The mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated. I love that word vindicated. It means that he was proven to be exactly who he said he was. Then it says, by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. So how do we unwrap the hope that's in that truth? The truth that the incarnation, that is God in a bod, that God came to earth to become one of us. What is the hope that's in that truth? Two things that I want to talk about this morning. Here's the first one. The incarnation means that God was willing to get involved. Now, when things go wrong, and things will go wrong. Hello, we're just fallible humans, are we not? So at some point in your life, things are going to go wrong. If you have an organization, somewhere in the organization, things are going to go wrong. And there's generally no shortage of people willing to voice their criticisms and complaints about the things that are going wrong. Hello, have you experienced those people? Here's the thing that irritates me about those people. Those are people who have done not one thing to offer any help or solution to the problem, which really, if you think about it, means they're dumber than you are. You can say, at least I'm trying. At least I offered some kind of a solution. You ain't done squat. And you can say it in Jesus' name, of course, and say it with lots of love. And I've learned over the years, it's what I've learned, that very few people are actually willing to step up to the plate and get involved in the problem. And we're all guilty of that, aren't we? To turn on the news and to complain and to gripe about what we see. But how many of us are actually willing to get our hands dirty. We're willing to complain about the world that we live in. I hear preachers and teachers and Christians talk about it all the time. The, the world that we live in is going to hell in a handbasket. And we say that from some lofty platform, but are we willing to get our hands dirty? The incarnation means that God was willing to get his hands dirty. He was willing to get involved. I'm going to read this just like it was in my notes. I wrote it, and I think it's kind of funny, but I'm going to read it anyway. You don't have to laugh if you don't want to. You don't have to, like, laugh. You can go, oh. 
That's amazing. God lowered himself, entered into the muck and the mire of this broken world. I like the muck and the mire thing. You know what I'm saying? It felt preachy. Thank you. Endured the pain and the grief of walking on earth. And when I wrote that, when I thought about that, I thought, absolutely. That God had it made in heaven, right? Is that God had angels all about. This way I have it pictured in my head. And there's this throne, and, and there are angels, and there, there are people all around. And they're literally down on their face, and they're worshiping and singing praises to his name. And he left that. He left that to come here. What? Why would you do such a thing? He did it because he wanted to be involved. There, there, there needed to be a solution to the problem, and the, and the problem that we have is sin, right? And so we couldn't fix it. And so what God was willing to do was to get involved. He was willing to leave that and come to earth. Entered into the muck and the mire. Endured the pain and the grief of walking on this earth. And then he was abandoned by his closest friends. And then he provided the solution to my sin problem through Jesus' death and resurrection. Wow. See, God saw a problem that we created. He didn't create the problem. That's it. You know, at least if he had been a part of it. You know, sometimes I feel responsible for things. And so, you know, sometimes I'll offer to help because I help make the mess. And so I feel a, an obligation, if you will, that I need to help clean up the mess. But when I don't do anything to create the mess, Mom, Dad, don't you want to say, you clean that up yourself. I ain't cleaning that up. He didn't create the mess. But he was the solution. And it's not wishful thinking. For what could happen, it's hope and what did happen. That Jesus literally went to the cross. And on the cross, <clears throat> he died a criminal's death. They nailed nails into his body. Nailed him to a, a Roman cross dropped that into the earth, and he died. He shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sin. God was willing to get his hands dirty. And what Jesus experienced on the cross was the pain and the guilt and the shame of all of our sin, sin that he didn't commit. So the incarnation, the first thing I just want you to know is that this means that God was willing to get involved. The second thing is sweeter than the first for me. The incarnation means it screams that God want, wants to be with us. Not that he had to be. Not that he just had to be with us. He wanted to be with us. That's crazy talk. I don't even want to be with me on some days. How about you? Can I just be honest with you? The last few days for Karen and I, we just admitted it finally last night. We looked at each other and said, Man, the last few days have been rough. I don't even know why they were rough. And so we just kind of found ourselves in a place that we didn't like. We didn't, and I found myself, you know, kind of irritable. I, I said some things. I acted in ways that I wasn't pleased with. And i just be honest with you. I thought to myself, I don't want to be with me right now. I don't know why anybody else wants to be with me. And so I, I can't understand then why would God want to be with me. But Isaiah said this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will call him, the name, you will call him Emmanuel. And that name, that name Emmanuel means God with us. So as I was studying this whole process of incarnation and what it means, I found this quote. 
And it goes something like this. But as God, in the person of Jesus Christ, walked and talked with people, they were conscious of the fact that God had manifested himself in the flesh. i got to be honest, like I disagree with that whole statement. I think they didn't understand. They didn't get it. They couldn't quite. We couldn't either. Don't. We, we can't. It's not that we're judgmental of them. Not that we're looking back on 2,000 years ago and say they were dumb as rock. You know, they didn't know nothing. I mean, it's not that. How in the world could you possibly conceive? I said it a few minutes ago, right? That God, the God, the creator of the universe, became human. Man, that's too big for you to wrap your mind around. I don't think they did fully understand it. I don't think the disciples fully understood it. But the guy went on to say this, and this was, this was what nailed me. He said, hearts that had been repelled by empty forms of religion. Now, if you're brand new to church, let me, so you think, I thought I was being religious by going to church today. Man, we hope not. Let me tell you what religion is. Religion is spelled D-O. It's, it's all about what you do, and you know that when you... When you rub up against, when you smell religion, it's all about what you do. And so, so you have to perform in order to be religious, in order to be better. You have to earn your way toward God. And so you have to stop doing a bunch of stuff and start doing a bunch of stuff. The thing of it is, is that we don't know what the limits of those things are. No matter how much better you are, there's how much better you need to be, right? So you never get there. And what religion does is it puts this heavy weight of responsibility on our shoulders that we can't carry. Hearts that had been repelled by empty forms of religion, watch this, listen, ran to him as starving men and women to a feast. Wow. And I read that and I thought, that's exactly it. And then I started thinking about some characters in the Bible, and there's all kinds, but the first one that came to my mind that I really think just paints the picture and tells the story well of the beauty of God's so much wanting to be with us, it's in the story of Zacchaeus. You've been in church for a while. You've heard the story of Zacchaeus, right? Sing it with me. Zacchaeus was That's all I got. Now stop right there. I wasn't in church much. I just, went, I just learned the first couple lines there. That's all I got. Those of you that don't know, Google it. I don't know. It's probably on Google or something. I don't know. Find out what the, that little song is all about. Anyway, his story is found in Luke 19, so let's jump into Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. So let's kind of uh, talk a little bit about this whole chief tax collector thing. Well, tax collectors were considered to be crooks. They were considered to be crooks because they amassed personal wealth by demanding tax payments in excess. That's enough to just make you mad right there, in excess of what, of what Rome levied against them. Could you imagine? Could you imagine somebody showing up at your house saying, I'm here to collect from the IRS. I'm here to collect from the government. Now, they say you owe them $10,000. I want five more. I want 15. And here's the thing. They, they asked for more, and they kept that for themselves. So nobody liked tax collectors. And he was a chief tax collector, which meant he had climbed the, the whole tax collector ladder thing. And he was a Jewish chief tax collector, 
which meant that he was considered to be a thief and a traitor to his own people. Because you can imagine what if your neighbor was that tax collector and he came to you and you would say, brother, I thought like we live in the same neighborhood. I thought we were like, you know, friends. We were buddies. We were pals. And he would say, no, there is no friendship in business. I want your money. And so these people said, you're working for Rome. And Rome is against us. What are you doing? Then it says, he wanted to see who Jesus was. And I read that and I thought, why? Why why did he want to know who Jesus was? Why? And you may think... you. You're like the 11 o'clock crowd. You're thinking, well, you idiot. He was Jesus. He was the Son of God. Everybody wanted to know who he was. They didn't, he didn't know that. Now, if, if you look, if you look in the New Testament, if you look at it when Jesus was teaching, often the people that would come to hear Jesus teach were sick people. Why did sick people come to hear Jesus? They came to hear him because they knew that he had the power to heal. And so they would come. I mean, some of them, they were desperate. They were lepers that nobody would want to be around. Nobody would touch. I mean, it was a, it was a when you got leprosy, it was a sentence to death, and, and you knew that. But you had heard a story that Jesus would touch lepers. He would touch the untouchables. He would touch and love people that nobody else would touch and love. And so you would hear those stories, and so you were desperate. And so wherever Jesus was, a, a large crowd of sick people would gather. But it doesn't say anything in this text about Zacchaeus being sick. There are other places in Scripture that I find fascinating as well. There was a father who had a sick daughter, and he wanted Jesus. He just went to Jesus and said, Jesus, listen, I've just heard incredible things about you. You can just speak the word. You don't even have to go to my daughter, and she'll be healed. But the thing with it is, it doesn't say anything in this text that Zacchaeus was sick, that he had a family member that was sick. So you've got this notorious chief tax-collecting sinner who wanted to see Jesus. Does that make any sense to you at all? It just doesn't to me. When I read that, I think about my old sinner days, and I think I wanted to stay as far away from God as possible. And like if I did go to church, you know, and the, and the preacher would be like standing out at the door on the way out. If he was in the, sort to say center door. Think, think about it. Center, center I would go out the side door. You with me? I didn't want to see him. I just knew he looked at me and he could see the sand all over me. You know what I mean? I go, oh. So I would think, why? What would possess this man to want to see who Jesus was? He wasn't sick. He didn't have a family member that was sick. It says that Jesus wanted to see who Jesus was. So he was curious. The only thing I can come up with was that his motive was simply curiosity. But I don't know why he was curious. The text says, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he had to run ahead because he knew. He knew who he was. It wasn't like somebody in the crowd was going to say, oh, bless your heart. He's a little man. Y'all, make, make room for the little man to come up here with us. I know he's a tax collector, but we all love him. Let's give him a hand and just make a way for him to be up here so he can be the first one to see Jesus. Maybe Jesus will make him grow. Who knows? So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way. So, so he was curious and he was determined. Could it be? I don't know. 
Could it be that he was curious and he was determined because he needed hope? I mean, he knew how everybody felt about him. He knew that everybody saw him as a thief and as a traitor. He knew that he had been successful in his business. He wasn't just a, a tax collector. He was a chief of tax collectors, which meant he was over a whole group of tax collectors. He had climbed the corporate ladder of success. He had made it to the top. He was hated. People couldn't stand him, and he knew that. So how do you think he must have felt about himself? And what in the world did he have possibly heard about Jesus that would cause him to do something kind of undignified, a grown man climbing a tree, a wealthy man. I mean, you'd think he'd pulled out some 20s and offered some people a way to the front, right? Maybe, just maybe, he was just hopeless. The text says when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. There's more here than you think now. He looked up and he, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down, come down right now. Man, this is a divine appointment. This is God in the flesh. Are you with me? That's the incarnation. Is that God knew that we had a problem. And he knew we had to fix the problem. So he came to be the solution to the problem. But it's more than that. In this moment, he knew that he would come face to face with this little man named Zacchaeus. And so he walked to the very tree where he was. And he looked up and he said, today, I'm, I'm going to spend a day at your house. Now, you don't think that's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. Jesus probably, when he was on earth, had about three years of, of public ministry, about three years, about two and a half, depends on who you, who you talk to. The theologians have different thoughts about that. But, uh, but about three years, one full day, in the process of three years, it's like an eternity. It's a huge amount of time that he would spend with a no-named, notorious sinner like Zacchaeus. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And th this is the part of the story that blows everybody's mind. That Jesus wanted to spend time with somebody like Zacchaeus. See, the incarnation means that God wanted to be with us, all of us. I love what I do. I love the people that we reach. Even notorious sinners like me and you. Pretty sweet. In fact, it was so sweet to Zacchaeus that he stood up and he said to the Lord, Lord, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Man, this man's had a change. There's been a radical change in his life. Uh, immediately. He, he's so blown away. Everybody else is blown away. He's blown away. I can't believe you'd want to spend time with somebody like me. I was just curious. I wanted to see who you were. I was trying to investigate the claims, everything that I've heard. Is it true? Oh, my gosh. So much more than that is true. I'll pay back four times the amount of anybody that I've cheated. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham, or the son of man. I love this. I love this verse. I've been quoting this verse for years. The son of man came to seek and to save those 
and lost. Somebody might be thinking, well, maybe, you know, that's just like one time happening thing. Maybe it just happened to say a kiss. Maybe, maybe, come on, maybe what Jesus was looking for was some rich guy that would finance his ministry. That's not true. Jesus never asked for a dime. There's never anywhere in Scripture where Jesus ever took up an offering. It's crazy. I probably shouldn't have told you all that. Don't think next week we're not. I love Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man, <laughs> he welcomes, he welcomes sinners. And he sits down and he, and, he, and he eats with them and he hangs out with them. It's disgusting. See, Jesus, the incarnation, proves John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he became one of us. It's proof that what Jesus wants is to have a relationship with you. He wants to be with you. It grieves his heart when he's not with you. If you're a follower of Jesus and you get so busy every day that you don't spend time with him, it grieves his heart. You need to know that. You need to know that what he longs for are those quiet moments when just you and him hang out and you just chat. He loves to hear about your day. He already knows before you tell him about your day, but he loves to hear it from you. He loves it when we, as I often do, in, in my mind, back there in worship just a few minutes ago, Jana was talking about, you know, lifting your hands. And I, for me, it was, I, I did this thing, and it was like, for me, you know what that it was? It was to say, Daddy, will you just pick me up? I remember when I was a kid. You remember that when you were just a kid and you'd run to your mom or you'd run to your dad and you'd just run with them with your arms open up? That's where I was a few minutes ago in worship. And I said, Jesus, will you just like pick me up? Will you just pick me up and hold me? He longs for that with you. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus. I just want you to know that Jesus is absolutely crazy about you, and the incarnation proves it. It proves it. It's not wishful thinking. This is not you just come to church, it's around Christmas time, we have a nice, sweet message of love. No. No, that ain't it. See, the cross proves it. Here's the thing. You cannot de deny the historical Jesus. You can't. You can't deny the things that the historical Jesus did. You can't do it. Now, you can deny the whole resurrection. That trips people up, right? Wow. But that he was raised from the dead on the third day. It kind of messes people up. But here's the thing. Over 500 witnesses saw him. People were willing to be put to death, and they were because of him. And what you're experiencing right now in this very moment is him. It's his presence. Right here, right now. Man, that's what we long for here. That's what this worship team, that's what we long for. Is in worship to just bring you to a place where everything else, you know, the, the day is just pushed to the side. And, and you can just you know, reach up and say, I need you, Daddy, to pick me up. And just hold me. If you're not a follower of Jesus, why in this world? Offer for your sin problem. 
How can you say no? Well, church has been, yeah, church has not always been the best place. I'm sorry for that. There's probably been some Christians that you've worked with or you've lived with that haven't lived the truth. Man, I'm sorry. I apologize for that. But it doesn't change the incarnation. It doesn't change the reason that Jesus came. It doesn't change that. We may suck at it. I'm sorry. But that doesn't change the reason Jesus came. Jesus wants to be with you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. It's incredible. So if you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. No one's looking around. I just kind of want to lead you through a prayer. Something you might pray. And you might say, God, I just, I didn't know. I've been curious. Kind of like Zacchaeus, you know, I was just curious. Maybe that's why you showed up at church today, because you're just curious. You just tell him. It's okay. He knows. So I came today to kind of kick the tires of Christianity. You know, I just wanted to see. I was curious. But this morning, something's happened. I, I wasn't expecting. I wasn't expecting to meet you like I'm meeting you right now, like face-to-face. I can't see you, but I know it's face-to-face. I feel your presence. Be blown away by your presence. To know that the Christmas story, there is hope in it. And the hope is the incarnation that you came because you want to be with somebody like me. Wow. So Jesus, I I don't know that I understand it all, but I'm just going to tell you that I believe. I'm just by faith, I'm just going to believe you're God's son. I'm going to take by faith that on the cross you died to pay the penalty for my sin. And and by faith, I'm going to believe it. Three days later, they raised you from the dead, and you're alive. By faith, I accept it. And to the best of my ability right now, I just want to surrender my life to you. Because you want to be with me. Father, that has got to be the simplest truth in Scripture. It's taken me over 30 years to figure it out. to embrace it (laughs) some days to just sit in it but I still Lord to this very day I take scripture and I add it to my prayer list Lord so I can be reminded of who you are and your love for me to be reminded of that simple truth every day that Satan would rob he would rob me of it if, if I would let him it's not wishful thinking, Lord. I stand on truth, truth of your word. Lord, teach us more and more and more and more as a church how to be a reflection of you to a very broken world. It's in your sweet name we pray.